0: I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me once again to the gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 24 we will begin at verse 44, where we have been focusing for the last few weeks, but continue on through the ascension, verse 53. Luke 24, beginning at verse 44, where Luke writes, Then he said to them, And that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for this privilege of studying it together. And now, as I stand before these, your people, this, your church, I pray that this would be your message and not my own, through the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty from thence, He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. We say that week after week in our worship. It's part of the Apostles' Creed, where we join together and affirm our faith, affirm what we believe. He ascended into heaven. What does that mean? Simply that, and he left. Or that was the end of that. Or is there more to it? Luke has been talking to us over the last few weeks about Jesus spending 40 days with his disciples. 40 days with the risen Christ. Today we end that series, but we share the time that over the 40 days from the time of the resurrection to the time of the ascension, Jesus spent time teaching the disciples very carefully about the Torah The law of God, the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. More than simply the 613 commandments. But that's the message of who created and why. How did sin enter into the world? What does it mean to be in a covenant relationship with God? I will be your God, you will be my people. Jesus spent time then teaching them the prophets, the Niveim. Hear the word of the Lord. How did the prophets teach the people of God what it means to be the people of God and what it means to be people of Torah, the instruction of God? And Jesus spent time teaching them about the Psalms, the songs of the faith, the prayers of the faith, the prayers that Jesus would have been praying from the time he was a child, early in the morning, going to bed late at night, singing as he entered synagogue or temple the songs of the faith. And Luke tells us as well in his book of Acts that Jesus taught them about the kingdom of God. So over the last four weeks, we've spent time looking at the Torah, the Niveim, the Ketuvim, or the Psalms, the writings, and the kingdom of God. But this past Thursday was Ascension Day. Forty days after Easter, Jesus then ascends into heaven. And soon, in 10 days from the time of the ascension, the Holy Spirit will breathe upon them, as we just heard. Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was seeking to know are you ready? It's interesting when we read the Ascension, hear the stories, many times we talk about it. We have stained glass windows with pictures of the Ascension. We have pictures in children's Bibles of of the Ascension. But not a lot of conversation. What does it mean and why? Maybe because most of the Gospels don't spend a lot of time looking at it. Luke does. Luke not only ends his Gospel in the Gospel of Luke with the Ascension... He begins the scripture in Acts with the ascension again. Luke is the one who tells us Jesus spent 40 days. For Luke, there's an important part of the story. Matthew, it's vaguely indicated. It's implied in the Great Commission. In Mark, there's a reference to Jesus' ascension. Not much time taken to it. John doesn't mention it at all. But Luke... He will spend time teaching us about Jesus ascending into heaven while blessing his disciples. I love this image. What would it have felt like to be there in the presence of Jesus as he was ascending? The disciples have gone through so much, they left everything to follow Jesus. They believed he was the Messiah and the Lord. They saw the miracles, they heard the teachings. They watched him get arrested. They saw him beaten. They watched him placed on a cross. They heard him cry out. They watched him die. They saw him placed in a tomb. Then they heard news of resurrection. They encountered the risen Christ. And then Jesus stayed with them for 40 days, almost six weeks, of an intensive where Jesus is there with them. Now the disciples are there as he takes them out to a mountain and begins to ascend while blessing them. I picture Jesus' hands reaching out like this. One of the things we learn in Worship when we're in seminary is that where your palms face is very important because that indicates the direction either of the blessing or the receiving. When we're looking to receive from God, our palms are up. So that it's a sign that we're looking to receive from God when we're doing a benediction or a blessing. The palms are out because the blessing is being sent out among the people. When we're blessing the elements at Holy Communion, the palms are down because the blessing and the consecration is going there. So I picture Jesus blessing the disciples as he ascends into heaven. But the disciples... We're not standing there on the mountain as Jesus was ascending with tears in their eyes, going, No, don't leave us. They were not there in grief and longing for Jesus as he left. We're actually told that they worshiped him. Luke 24, again, verse 52, and they worshiped him. It's not often in the scriptures that we hear that. A couple of times we hear, that they worshiped Jesus, but here Luke says they were worshiping him. As he was ascending, they worshiped him, and then they returned to Jerusalem, not with sadness and broken hearts. Luke said they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Picture that. Jesus has just ascended. They're filled with great joy. How does that happen? And they were continually, Luke says, in the temple Blessing God, praising God, worshiping God. Why? Because over those 40 days, Jesus' teaching worked. They had left everything because they believed Jesus was the Messiah. And when Jesus rises from the grave, those who had found themselves locked away in fear now are experiencing joy. Amazing, gifted joy. For Jesus had spent those 40 days connecting the dots. Do you see what God is doing? And they spent time looking back. Do you see the Torah and the covenant, what God has done? Do you hear the word of the Lord as told by the prophets? Do you understand the prayers and the songs as we sang together in worship Do you understand the kingdom of God and what God is doing? Do you understand what this cross was really all about with offering forgiveness of sins and everlasting life? Do you recognize the resurrection was all about conquering sin and death once and for all? And then Jesus says, and when I leave, I'm not leaving you alone. It's actually good for you, the scripture says, that I leave. Because when I do, I will send to you the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit and you will be able to be the church in an amazing way. They were filled with joy and worship God because they now knew without a doubt He truly is the Messiah. He is not only Messiah, He is the Son of God. He's not only the Son of God, but Jesus is Lord. That statement of faith that is the foundation of of our faith as Christians is Jesus is Lord. It's the reminder where Peter had said earlier in Matthew 16, verse 16, I know who you are. You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. We now know beyond a doubt that is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Were they ready to be the church? Absolutely. Absolutely. Were they inspired to be the church? Beyond a doubt, they were new people. You see, the redemption that Jesus brought had come to completion. God had come in the flesh and intervened. God had put on clothes and lived among us. God had taught us with His own words. And the Word had become flesh and dwelt among us. John tells us in John chapter 1 verse 1 he said in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God. And then in John 1:14 skipping down a few verses he says and the word became flesh and lived among us and we have seen his glory the glory as the father's only son full of grace and truth. Some say and the word became flesh and Tabernacled among us. Remember, tabernacle from the Old Testament, that presence of God. And I love some translations that say, and, and God, the Word became flesh, and God pitched His tent among us. Pitched His tent right here in our community, moved into our neighborhood, became part of our lives. But now, That whole intervening of God in human form had had been fulfilled, the plan and the purpose for Jesus taking on flesh has now been complete and Jesus is ascending into heaven. And not only do they see the risen Christ, But I think one of the things that allowed them to return with great joy, worshiping God, blessing God, was not only did they see the resurrected Christ whom they had been with for the last 40 days, they got a glimpse of the glorified Christ. The God who had left the glory of heaven, now returning to heaven. Paul shares that in his letter to the Philippians. In Philippians 2, that familiar scripture, verse 5, that says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God. That's where he was to begin with. God in the flesh, the word of God. Though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself. God humbled himself, taking on the form of a slave and being born in human likeness. Being found in human form, he humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross and in catch. Therefore God also highly exalted him. They got a glimpse of the exalted Christ. And they gave him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The disciples got the glimpse of the glorified Christ and the promise of the Spirit. They had learned. Jesus had taught them, when I go, it makes the world of difference. For example, the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 said, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by a Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Remember John 1, all things were made by him. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made the purification for sins, then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. Wow. It's not that Jesus dies again, as in the case of Lazarus, but the risen Christ is taken up into the fullness of the kingdom, exalted at the right hand of God. Ephesians puts it this way. Paul talks about the exalted Christ and the church. He said, God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And He has put all things under His feet and has made Him head over all things for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And First John, again, the exalted Christ becomes our advocate. Chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but... If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is also the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours also, but for the sins of the whole world. I love that image of Jesus being an advocate for us. That when we sin, when we mess up, he advocates on our behalf. You see Terry Moore down there? Man, he just messed up. But I love that guy. As a matter of fact, I died for him. And the same for you. You see that one? I gave my life for them. I love them. Let's forgive them. The advocate. No wonder the disciples could leave with great joy. And Peter's sermon following Pentecost, I love, in Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 32, he says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we're all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him, this is important, both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you have crucified. And again, Peter, later before the high priest in Acts 5, verse 30, says, The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. Now here, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. My friends... We are Christian today, not because Jesus was a good man. We are Christian, not because he was a good rabbi. He was a great teacher. Didn't he tell awesome stories? I love the parables myself. We're not Christian because we love his morals and his values. I can align with him. His teachings fit what I want to be. We're not Christians because of his love for the poor and the outcast, even though we agree and love all people. We're not Christian because he was a martyr. He's willing to die for what he believed. And we're not Christian because Christianity was the religion that seemed to be most compatible with us, so that's the one I chose. No. We're Christian because Jesus the Christ is Savior and Lord. God determined so. And in his ascension, the disciples not only saw the resurrected Christ, but the exalted Christ. We are Christian because Jesus the Christ was God in the flesh. We are Christian because God so loved the world that He was willing to give His only begotten Son so that whosoever would believe in Him would never perish but have everlasting life. John three sixteen. We are Christian because there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. We are Christian because He died for our sins that we may be forgiven. We're Christian because God raised Him from the dead, defeating both sin and death. We are Christian because God exalted Him at His right hand. We are Christian because Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thus says God Himself. I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases the end of the Gospel of Luke when he said, And they were on their knees worshiping Him. They returned to Jerusalem bursting with joy. They spent all their time in the temple praising God. And then he exclaims, Yes! Yes! I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, and he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from thence he will come to judge the quick and the dead." The Ascension, God's exclamation point. Are you ready to be the church? I'll follow him anywhere. Then get ready for the Holy Spirit is about to breathe on you. And you will be empowered, not only inspired, but empowered to be Christian. And together to be the church. Thanks be to God. Amen.